Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. April 6, 2021. How are you doing, David? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing fine. Excellent. Yes, we had Easter dinner two last night. Leftover ham, <laughs> leftover stuffing, leftover peppers. And I gotta say, I think there's a reason people eat that stuff on holidays, because it is awfully good. It's delicious. Even the second time around. Yes, definitely. Now, your video is a bit frozen. We're going to see if we can ameliorate that condition. Uh, let me see if I can switch a scene or something and come back to you. If not, we may have to immediately hang up and start again. Nope, you're good. Oh, I'm live. You're back. Okay, so today... Uh, we didn't have a topic. We have some appointments going on very shortly after the podcast broadcast, so we don't want to do anything that will take a long time. So we're going back to the well. One of our favorite things to do, we're going to read Reddit's page, Today I Learned. And when we get going, we have been known to talk and talk and talk. Right, David? Yes, and we might just learn something when we do these. Uh-huh. I so, usually do. Yeah. And sometimes it's dumb. I think what we need for the listeners out there and for our own benefit is a rating system. And I don't think it has to be 1 through 10. I think it should be like, dumb, who cares? That's kind of interesting. And yeah, I never knew that. I like that. Or something like that. Those are the four stars. Dumb, don't care. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. Um, so shall we jump into it right away? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, we're here. We were doing today. I learned today. I learned that scurvy can cause previously broken bones to rebreak and healed scars to reopen. This is because vitamin C is needed to actively produce collagen, the glue that holds the body together. And without vitamin C, the collagen can no longer be produced. Dumb. <laughs> I mean. A new category. I, I, that's logical. Kind of figure mm -hmm. that out. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you don't know it, you should know it. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Too a lot of the supplement industry is built on the backs of diseases like scurvy and pellagra. So if you have a vitamin C deficiency or rickets, um, if you have a vitamin C deficiency, you can get scurvy. And that's bad. If you have a vitamin B deficiency, you can get pellagra, and that's bad. If you have a vitamin D deficiency, you can get rickets, and that's bad. So there's these three vitamins that are micronutrients. They're not like carbohydrates, fat, or protein. But if you have a complete deficiency of them, basically an absence of them, you can get a gnarly disease. And I think because of that, on the back of that, they've built a multi-billion dollar supplement industry. And the thing about it is, like pirates would get scurvy or whatever because they were on a ship with no vitamin C for three months. I think you can get enough vitamin C not to get scurvy by eating one orange. And wow. yeah, I mean, I don't think that, so I think that they use these diseases you could get from uh, micronutrient deficiency as a scare tactic to get to get you to buy vitamins, but I think that most people get enough vitamins from their vi diets. 
That's just mm-hmm. my two cents. Vitamins. They're expensive, but there's no proof that they work. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I, oh, I think you need them. Uh, I do. You definitely need vitamins. But I think you get pretty much uh, most of everything you need by just having a good diet. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all about nutrition. Nutrition, I think, uh, is overlooked quite a bit. It's misused quite a bit. You overeat. I know I overeat from time to time. But uh, the point is that uh, as you get older, uh, if you have the diet you had when you were younger, uh, sometimes you need to change. Mm-hmm. That's not always good. And uh, so uh, just just a simple multivitamin, I think, is very good to take as you get older. But I don't think you need much more than that unless you have a problem. Yes. I, I mean, I will say, after saying vitamins, there's no proof they work, that I take a multivitamin every day. And I take it just in yep. case my diet, I'm not eating certain vegetables or fruits and there might be just, I mean, I might be getting less than my recommended daily allowance. It literally is a supplement. It's not, I see these people with cupboards full of pill, pill bottles. And they're like, oh, yeah, I take this, you know, nine times a day. <laughs> I'm, I'm spending $1,500 a week on vitamins. And it's like, yikes. You know, uh, you're better off spending that money on healthy, nutritious food. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And a lot of times uh, the uh, uh, different vitamin or a different type of nutrient uh, deficiency, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's due to your diet and sometimes it's due to your lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, the type of lifestyle you have is will deplete certain vitamins. And just have a nice balanced diet, balanced lifestyle, and with a multivitamin, you'll be fine. Well, that's what I believe for, for the most part. Well, some think- people do need more. Doctors, one thing where they all agree that you, I mean, they say, should I take vitamins? Like, yeah, couldn't hurt. But I think when they actively tell you to take vitamins is for women who are pregnant. And I think that there's actually scientific studies that, you know, the baby and the the nutrients, the micronutrients required to make a baby, um, it doesn't hurt to supplement that with some prenatal vitamins. And so doctors actually do say, yeah, you definitely should. If you ask them, like, should I take vitamin D supplements? They're like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. It's not going to hurt you. But they wouldn't actively say, you need to do this unless you had a huge deficiency in that particular area. But they will tell, good, they will tell all pregnant a, women to take vitamins. That's a good point, David, because uh, along the same argument, uh, when you're pregnant, you might have the same diet and the same lifestyle as you had when you were not pregnant. Now that you are pregnant, well, that's a change, mm-hmm. and you have to you have to think about that, and so your body and the and did you hear that? And the baby, yeah. Oh, sorry. And the baby is is requiring its own nutrients to grow, and so when you have a change like that, uh, sometimes you need to supplement. So anyway, I think good discussion. We've solved the vitamin issue. Let's move on to number two. Number two. Oh, wow. Today I learned that Betty White hosted a a five-and-a-half-hour-long live talk show six days a week from 1949 to 1953. Is there anything she can't do? (laughs) I knew knew that. I I knew that, but I saw a documentary on Betty White. She's hilarious. She's she's interesting. She is, and everybody seems to like her, and she's been around forever. Yeah. I think that, that tells you something, right? 
Yeah, she she's she's very witty. She's very funny. Uh, she's she's a she's a consummate professional, uh, an actress. She's very good. I saw a documentary on her, and uh, Alan Ledden, uh, he asked her to marry her, and she said no. And he kept asking her, and she kept saying no. <laughs> and he wanted to marry her. And, that, and he kept asking, kept asking. And finally, uh, I think a year later, she finally, after multiple proposals, she finally said yes. And, uh, and she says, uh, my biggest regret is saying no for so long, and I missed out on a, on a lovely marriage. For a whole year, just to say no, I, I shouldn't have I shouldn't done that. Mm-hmm. She's an interesting lady, very very good lady. Okay, moving on. Today I learned very ta- very talented too. Yeah, she's funny. She, she's a singer. She's an actress. She's a producer. She she's a director. She's done all of that. Mm-hmm. And you only see her as an actress, but she's done all all that. Okay, let's move on. Uh, today I learned laminated safety glass was invented by chemist Eduard Benedictus after a lab accident in 1903. A glass flask coated with the plastic cellulose nitrate was dropped, shattering but not breaking into pieces. In 1909, he filed a patent after hearing of a car accident causing injury by glass debris. Well, I think that's the way a lot of things get invented, don't you? That's what I was going to say, yep. Like uh, penicillin. Or, I don't know, other stuff that I can't think of right now. But it's sort uh, of... WD-40. Yeah, it's sort of... WD-40 happy... was... WD-40 was not... You know, the w, the spray? Uh-huh. It was not invented for what its use was. Mm-hmm. It was... It was it was an experiment. It was the 40th experiment for, for water displacement. Uh, and uh, they realized, hey, you know, this doesn't... Dis- it does, kind of displaces water. But it's really good as a lubricant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so they marketed it, and all of a sudden, it was—it's an excellent lubricant. You can almost do anything with duct tape and WD-40. That's right. And that was an—that was kind of an accident. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, like you know, you have this glass coated in plastic, and then you drop it, and you realize, oh, it doesn't shatter. Well, that was in 1903, and it took six years to realize. Let's put this in cars. And the thing is, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that. It's useful, but it's not in use, like at its optimal place just yet. And a lot of times it's about figuring out, oh, well, if we used this and we applied it here, I think we got ourselves a winner. And I think people are constantly thinking about that stuff, especially at large corporations like, I don't know, Dow Chemical or IBM. They're sort of saying, how can we use this? It reminds me of, uh, this is completely off topic, but... Did you hear about the big settlement in the Google versus Oracle case? Oh, yeah, I did. And the judge found for Google, even though 11,000 lines of their code are, for the Android operating system are identical to Oracle code. And they said, this is maintenance code. This is functional code. This is like lattice work. It's like if you said, oh, look at the Chrysler building. They used rebar and concrete. They copied the Empire State building. You know, that, so the Chrysler building yeah. needs to, that's what they're saying. And that's sort of the judge was able to see that. And I think it's, I hope it's a, the right decision. I don't really know all the details, but I don't feel like they ripped off Oracle, you know, because there's millions of lines of code in that operating system. So 11,000 being the same, but it's all just functional stuff. Uh, well, that's, that's why you should always do things. You should always try things. 
No, oh, that's not going to work. Try it anyway. It, it, it may not work. It probably won't work. But while you're doing it, you might find another use for it that you didn't think of. You might think of a better way of doing something you haven't thought of. You might think of a better way of doing something you haven't even applied it to. Mm -hmm. So so you should always, always try things. Give it a shot. Try it. And, uh, and also the best teacher is failure. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid of failing. Uh, try it. Do it. Always do it. Always I know. do it. You can, you can always stop if you started, uh, but you can't keep going if you haven't started. I know here in the studio, I rearrange the space sometimes to make the workflow more optimal, and mm -hmm. it doesn't work. And I'll stubbornly stick with it for like a week or two or three, even though it's worse than the old setup. And then I'll go back to the old setup, but I'll try to change one thing about it. Yeah, just sort of, you're optimizing, and you have this bright idea, oh, I'm going to buy this guitar stand or whatever. And then everything's going to be so much faster. And you buy it and you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't work the way I thought it would. I don't really like it. And you have to revert. But I think that's another lesson. Like you might find, like with Safety Glass and Edward Benedictus, you might find a use for something that you've created um, by happenstance. But you also might do something and realize you need to revert to an old model because the new one's just not working out. For instance, Skype. Prior to 2017, we used Skype for the podcast. You could just bridge your desktop audio. You can't do that anymore. And it's like, I would love that feature. Maybe we should install, maybe I should install Skype 2016 edition. I find the reverted edition so that I can, you can hear what I hear when I play music and uh, videos. Yeah. Um, but enough about that. Shall we move on? Yeah, but but actually, that's that's uh, uh, that's true because I think Edison uh, tried when he tried to invent the light bulb. Uh, from the story I heard, if I remember right, he tried hundreds, if not thousands, of different, well, dozens, dozens, if not hundreds, of different uh, uh, filaments, mm -hmm. uh, filaments. And the one he finally came up with was the same as one of the first ones he started with. He just went back and changed, changed the voltage or something mm -hmm. like that, or amps, changed, changed the amount of amps or something. And so sometimes uh, never, uh, again, never give up. You go back. Don't be afraid of going back to something that, that, went, that uh, you did before. Because you might have been on the right track. You just didn't have the right implementation. He didn't have all the ingredients. It wasn't like a perfect storm kind of mm -hmm. thing. Keep thinking and, and just just feedback. Have a feedback system and keep going back and doing things. Because when you don't do it and you do other things and you come back to it, well, you're wiser. Mm -hmm. You know, you've learned more. And so you might redesign this thing, re-engineer it, re it to where it will work. Yeah, you could combine flour, water, yeast, salt, and bake a loaf of bread and it's disgusting and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't use flour water yeast and salt in your next loaf of bread that's right modify it there may be a different little combination mm -hmm. oh bread delicious i love bread um moving on today i learned about frank cannonball richards a carnival entertainer whose most famous act involved getting hit by a 104 pound cannonball from close range he performed the act twice a day because, quote, more than that was too painful. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> uh, That's pretty cool. Have I can't believe that. Have you seen those videos of the guy getting hit by a cannonball? I think, I think maybe I have. I, yeah. I kind of think in the back of my head that it was a promo. They used that clip for a promo on MTV. I'm going to actually Google this because now I'm interested to know. Frank Cannonball Richards, we're Googling. You'll hear me clicking and clacking. Frank Cannonball Richards. MTV. MTV. The real man behind. The Simpsons episode where Homer gets shot in the belly with a cannonball. Um, (laughs) Because I think I've seen this picture. Oh, you can't see it. But we'll go back to Reddit. See this picture here? Yeah. I've seen that. I think there's video of it. I seem to remember seeing a video of him getting hit, too. An old, old video of it. Okay, short clip of Richard's cannonball trick has become a well-known example of stock footage. So I'm sure that the stock footage has been used somewhere, and I've seen it. Um, I, just, I think it was an MTV promo, but that, there's no reason to keep harping on this. What, <laughs> what do you think of Frank Cannonball Richards? He had, a, he had a gig, and he milked it for all it was worth, and more power to him. I like his quote, too. He did it twice a day because more than that was too painful. <laughs> when once in a lifetime is too painful for most people, mm-hmm. they wouldn't do it once. Okay, moving on. That one is uh, mildly interesting. Are we giving Frank Cannonball Richards a mild the score of mildly interesting? Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of knew that before, but yeah, that's it's interesting. Good for him. I like the quote. The quote setter sells the. The post. <laughs> More than that was too painful. Okay, today I learned that Mahatma Gandhi wrote two letters to Hitler in which he asked him to stop the war because it would have caused many victims. Neither of the letters he wrote were allowed to be sent by the colonial government. Hmm. Well, well kind of believe it. I, uh, seems logical that mm-hmm. he would do something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I, but I'm sure a lot of people told Hitler to stop. Yeah. It's weird. The power of, oh, they wrote a letter. Who writes a letter these days, you know? Yeah, well, I do. I know, <laughs> but, like, have you written, I know, I know did, you, did you write a letter to Donald Trump saying, you know, I think that you should be more welcoming of the immigrant children at the border or something? You know, would you write a letter to Biden and say that? And if you did, would you hope that your letter would make... I mean, you you would hope your letter would make a difference, but would you honestly think your letter would make a difference or ever be read by him, you know? Um, I guess that's my naive, cynical, old, stale, mm. bitter, negative outlook. Like, if I wanted to write a letter to a celebrity, let's pick a celebrity... Uh, who's been in a movie that we've seen recently? Let's see. What movies have we watched recently? We were watching mostly documentary shorts, so it's not like any of those yeah, people are celebrities. Have. So, well, I like I like Rashida Jones. 
yeah, what if I wrote a letter to Rashida Jones? I doubt that it would ever get returned, you know? It would go off yeah, into the prob- ether. She probably never would never would read it. Mm-hmm. She's talented, too, I think. Let's go on to science. Oh, by the way, the Mahatma Gummy, I say, that's mildly interesting. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Uh, but this one, I think, might be interesting to me, being a engineer and physicist. Okay. Today I learned that purple is a non-spectral color, which means that it exists only in our minds. There's no wavelength of life, light that corresponds to it. Our brain perceives purple when it sees a mixture of strong red and strong blue light without any green. I, I, I disagree with that. I, <laughs> I mean... It's sort of like saying uh, dog poop is a non-spectral odor. It's really just the bacteria eating the feces that you smell, and then your brain interprets it as dog poop. It's like, yeah, but it smells like dog poop. Like, I mean. No, it's like saying the sky <laughs> really isn't blue. It's just what it's just when you see it, it looks blue. If you actually go into the sky outside the atmosphere, it's all black out there. It's really black, so it's mm. not really blue. I said, yeah, it's blue. Yes, it is. So it depends on how you define it. Like, is orange yeah. a non-spectral color? Yeah, Roy, Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, yellow, blue, indigo, violet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, it's a good point. Uh, we should. Uh, I'll look up. Uh, uh, it depends on how you define purple. Should I look up non-spectral color? That's what I want to look up. I think look that at, look at the, look at the frequency of the spectrum, the frequency of the light spectrum. I guess I can look at it too. Okay, a non-spectral color is just a color whose hue is not produced by a single wavelength in the visible spectrum, but is instead produced by mixing. Um, so purple, pink. Uh, so. Let me read that. Non-spectral colors is not a single wavelength in the visible spectrum, but is instead produced by mixing the longest red and shortest blue wavelengths of the spectrum, such as the variance of purple or pink, or by mixing in a gray scale color, white, gray, and black. With a spe- oh, I see what they're. I see what they're saying. Yeah. I see what they're saying. They're sort of, I mean, obviously purple is a color, but it's just, it's a combination of, if you look at the spectrum from red to blue. Yeah. On the other hand, you're defining colors by a wavelength, Mm -hmm. and the wavelength is not discrete. A wavelength is continuous. Mm -hmm. So somewhere in there, you're going to have a hue, like this is going to be the uh, blue, uh, this is going to be the indigo, violet, but somewhere in there you're going to have a hue between these, which we call purple. Yeah. That anyway, I I have some I have some skepticism on that. Uh, I'm sure they're right. I'm sure they're right as far as the definition is concerned. Yeah. But then you can back off and explain it other ways too. It's like I don't uh, ever I don't ever take everything at face value. It's like the the <laughs> question Brett... everything, right, David? The bread spectrum is wheat or flour, water, yeast, and salt. And did you know that a loaf of bread 
is not a spectral ingredient. It's only a combination of the four spectral ingredients. <laughs> right? That's kind of sort of what they're saying. Yeah. It's not really an ingredient. It's a combination of ingredients. Of four ingredients. Of four ingredients. So it's not really, it doesn't really exist. Yeah, bread doesn't exist. It's just a combination of four ingredients. <laughs> okay, uh, keep believing that. I'll eat. I'll eat. I'll go have my bread and butter. Okay, today I learned Spike Milligan, member of the comedy team The Goons, joked after fellow member Harry Seacomb sang at Peter Sellers' funeral, "I hope you die before me, because I don't want you singing at my funeral." Twenty-two years later, at Milligan's memorial, Seacomb's son played a recording of his late father singing. Well, I uh, I don't know any of those people. No, I know Peter Sellers from no, The Peter Party Sellers, and yeah. Pink Panther. The other guys, yeah. I don't know them. No, I don't know them. So it's like he said, I hope you die before me because I don't want you singing at my funeral. And then the guy did die before him, but his son brought a recording of him singing to his funeral. And it's supposed to be like, ha, ha, ha. I guess, I mean, a little morbid to me. I don't know. Yeah, me too. As long as everyone's okay with it. It's like... You know, my father said that he hoped, or Harry said that he hoped my father died before him because he didn't want him singing at his funeral. Well, I have a recording of my father singing and everyone laughs and it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, there's different vibes at funerals. And I think if you go, if you go for funny, you better make sure that your audience is okay with it. You know, Uh, if you want to do that at a funeral. To each his own. To each his own. Moving on. I don't like that one. I don't know any of those people. Don't care about them. And I don't like this idea that a funeral should be a big joke. Here we go. Today I I learned that a week before Rosa Parks' incident, segregation on interstate buses was struck down after a black woman Army Corps private refused to give up her seat to a white Marine. I did not know that. How about that? Interstate buses. I get it. So the Montgomery bus boycott was a city bus. This was like Greyhounds or whatever. Interstate buses. So it, was, it, it started to happen. People started saying, hey, you know, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Women's Army Corps. Okay, I like that one. That's fine. I like that one. I, I honestly think, too, the Rosa Parks thing or whatever, I'm sure that was going on. And people have become more sophisticated with how they promote stories or whatever but that was the right story at the right time and i'm sure there's dozens if not hundreds of stories like the rosa park story what year was the rosa park story um 50 40 50 51 December 1st, 1955. Wow. So, that was interesting. I, do you know what I'm saying? Like, Rosa Parks, good for her. I think she's, because she's become an icon of the civil rights movement for refusing to go to the back of the bus. But I do think there was a lot of people that refused to go to the back of the bus. And she was the one that's like, let's make her story the impetus for the Montgomery bus boycott. I don't... Um, like a lot of people, I think have courage. A lot of people show courage in the face of, of oppression. But if you're going to build your story around a person, a lot of times the leadership will say, let's make sure we choose the right person. 
You know, this guy refused to go to the back of the bus. He's a convicted felon. And also Rosa Parks refused to go to the back of the bus. And she's just, you know, a lady. It's like, let's choose Rosa Parks to build our story around, not, you know, someone that might be a particular, like a more unsavory character. That's one, that's one, one side of it, I think. Uh, the other side is the person. Yeah. I think Rosa Parks was the kind of person and personality that could carry forward. I mean, she was the, the kind of personality that you could build a mm-hmm. movement around that people would want to follow, too. Like why Branch Rickey chose Jackie Robinson. There was, there was yeah, that's right. black baseball players that were better than Jackie Robinson. But for Branch Rickey, it's like, I don't want the best player. I want the player with the mentality that they can handle the the shit that's going to be piled on them when they get to the majors. And Jackie Robinson think, is that guy. He, I think he told Jackie that, too. He goes, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But if you're willing to stick with it, I'll stick it with, with you, you know. And he, it was hard. And it was hard. They did stick with him. And it changed baseball. It changed more than baseball. It changed more than baseball. I guess what I'm saying is Rosa Parks has become sort of the symbol. And I think also because... There was leadership down there in Montgomery to organize a bus boycott. You know, this lady, um, they don't even name her. I think that's kind of sad. A black woman Army Corps private refused to give up her seat. Like, she has a name. What was her name? Yeah. Let's, let's look. Here's her picture. Sarah Keys. Her name was Sarah Keys. Oh, and, wow. And you know what? I'm saying Sarah Keys probably uh, maybe where the bus ride was or whatever. Uh, there was not the leadership like there was in Montgomery to say, we're, this is where we're going to make our stand. But she was just as courageous as Rosa Parks. Yeah, I know what you're saying, and, and I agree. Rosa Parks was was uh, brave. Brave, yeah. Was stood up. Uh but she's, there are a lot of other women and men and people just like her. And uh, But uh, good for her that she didn't back down. That's Jackie true. Robinson didn't back down either. They, they stood up for what was right and, and, and they changed things, mm-hmm. which is a good lesson. Uh, you could be, you don't have to be famous. You just have to stand up for what is right and don't back down. Yes. And whether you do it, whether you're, you're Rosa Parks or whether you're Sarah Keys, you be who you are, and you do what's right. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're the Rosa Parks in front of the camera or you're Sarah Keys, you're still being who you are and, and, and do, do what's right. And, I mean, here's the thing. Segregated busing was wrong. But if you're a mother to a hungry child and you're coming from uh, the grocery store with food to feed your family, and you choose to sit on the back of the bus just to avoid the hassle, that doesn't mean that segregated busing is right. But that also doesn't mean that your choice to sit on the back of the bus was wrong because you had another... Life is about sort of making choices based upon your circumstances. I guess this is uh, hypothetical, but do you see what I'm saying? I I know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it was about that time... I don't know if I told you this story, David, but I... True story. It was about that time. I was a little boy, and uh, my parents' store was in North Tulsa, 
Uh, we lived in South Tulsa, and I had a uh, housekeeper, that, a babysitter, housekeeper. She'd, she'd take care of me, uh, Benny Ruth. And uh, I, uh, my parents called her and says, could you bring uh, Michael up to the store? And she says, okay. So we get on the bus, and she made me sit in the front. She sat in the back. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, Benny Ruth, I don't. I want to sit with you. She says, no, you sit in the front. Well, then you sit with me. She says, no, I'm sitting in the back. She says, no, no, I want to sit with you. I, wanna, I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. I was real little. And I started crying because I thought Benny Ruth didn't like me anymore. Yeah. I didn't know she was black. Uh, and she was just Benny Ruth, you know. But but now that I got when I got older, I realized she was black and I understood what was happening because she she wanted she protected me to make sure that she got me there safe and sound. She wanted to avoid any friction. She wasn't that wasn't the right time to make a stand. It wasn't. And she was protecting me. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. The other thing, David, is I. Oh, so she was black. Says No, she was Benny Ruth. Mm -hmm. She wasn't black or white or purple or green. She was Benny Ruth. And and I guess I guess my upbringing, I, when I see people talking about the blacks and this and then and, and Asians and, and Hispanics and Latino, I, I just I'm hoping as far as a dream, I am hoping someday we don't identify people like that. We see people as people. Mm -hmm. They are who they are. And every person is valuable. And, and someday, hopefully, uh, we look at each other and we see the value inside each other and not label them. I hate labels. Yeah. Anyway, I guess I got off on a tangent there, didn't we? Yeah. But, but Benny Ruth was Benny Ruth. Benny Ruth is Benny Ruth. <laughs> and Sarah Keys refused to go to the back of the bus before Rosa Parks. So and Sarah there Keys you go. Was Sarah Keys. Sarah Keys was Sarah Keys. Let's remember their names. Remember um, their names. Sarah Keys was Sarah Keys. Uh, today I learned, despite the fact that China is wider than the contiguous United States and could ideally have five different time zones, China uses only one time zone called China Standard Time across the entire country. Fascinating. Yeah. I don't think that's that efficient. I mean, I, <laughs> I guess it's just a number, but like... If your workday starts at 9 a.m. in the West, then that's the equivalent of, like, noon in the East. And then what about the sunlight? The sunlight is totally different. That's why, <laughs> that's why we change the times. Yeah. The sunlight. But in China, I bet it's all uh, as far as sunrise, sunset, and the time in the morning and the evening. I bet all that is around Beijing. Yeah, I'm sure that the time, well, the East Coast, that's the time, that's what the time is. Yeah. And the now, other people just have to just have to deal with it. This is an aside, but when we were in China, do you remember Brian Kwok, our fixer? He was the guy, Brian. He hired Sonny, who was also our Okay, oh, I remember Sonny. Brian Sunny, Kwok. Was, was we were supposed to do something outside, and it rained. And he sort of... I kind of think he was making up this ancient <laughs> Chinese wisdom. But he's like, yeah, we were going to go here, but it's raining. And there's this old Chinese proverb, and it says, in China, in the sky, 
when it rains, there's nothing anybody can do about it. And it's like, that's your proverb? I kind of feel like he just made that up that day. He made that up. I kind of remember that guy. Yeah. That was funny. I remember you laughing at him. Yeah, I remember. I thought that was hilarious because it's like, yeah, like people in China don't say that. I mean, maybe they do, but they say it in the course of conversation. It's not like, but I do like that proverb. Like, oh man, the weather's going to be bad tomorrow. Yeah, well, you know what they say in the sky when it rains, there's nothing anyone can do about it because it's true. It's, it is true. I'm not sure it's a proverb. <laughs> Um, moving on. That's weird. China has one, one time zone. One time zone. Today I learned the first ever car to break the 100 kilometer per hour barrier was an electric car. The 1899 speed record of Le Jamais Content held for three years until the reign of combustion engines started. Wow. How about? Mildly interesting, I would say. Mildly interesting. I mean, it's, Trivia, but it's not that interesting. Okay. Today I learned during solar eclipses, tree leaves act as pinhole cameras, resulting in trees casting crescent-shaped shadows on the ground. This effect puzzled Aristotle in the 4th century BC. Okay, that's fine. Today I learned Michael yeah, Jackson... Not... Huh? Uh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, don't know what we're supposed to say about that. No, big deal. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we knew that. We used to, I used to play with that with kids myself. Yeah. Today I learned Michael Jackson is estimated to have donated over half a billion dollars over his lifetime, setting a record for any pop star. Ah. Does that... I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And to what, you know? Yeah. I think it's fascinating. We should do a foreign affairs on that pandemic planning article. I think you mentioned it to me. It's coming up. And we'll do that later this week. But uh, it talks about how Bill Gates has become the second biggest funder to the WHO after the United States government. Hmm. And I saw, I heard a, a radio report on NPR about Bill Gates has outsized influence in the public health sphere. And the thing is, that's okay, but should one person have that much power to direct public health policy? And then they talk to these public health people, and they're like, well, the thing is, he does have a lot of power. Like, all roads lead through him. But also, the funding would just not be there if it weren't for him. So, and it's not like he's asking for unreasonable things. Everything he asks for is reasonable, um, he works together, and they talk about the lamb dinner or something. They had this, this is sort of, this is, I guess we're talking about Michael Jackson as a philanthropist. Let's talk about the real biggest philanthropist in the world, Bill Gates. And he put in 15, uh, what was it? No, he put in $1.5 billion to public health. And he had all these public health people come to his um, compound in Redmond, Washington. And they had a dinner. And everyone was done, and everyone remembers how good the dinner was. And then before they were about to leave, they, you know, they were sort of getting ready to go, and Bill Gates said, yeah, what if I put in a lot more money? And they all 
stopped getting up and they all sat back down at the table. And so he put in 1.5 billion, but then he ended up putting in 20 billion more to public health. Oh my goodness. And because they're saying, okay, you've done a good job with the 1.5 billion I've given you. Now, that was a trial run. What if I gave you some real money now? What would you do with it? And it basically, it's like, pitch me your plan. What would be the net benefit of this? I'll invest in it. He's like, a, he's a little bit like an investor or partner. And it's like, okay, well, I think you could do this more efficiently if you designed it this way. So let me give you the money and we'll design it that way and you can do it. You know, what is your goal? I think it's fascinating what he's doing. Oh, me too. But why would he do that? Just to just to see if they were appreciative, uh, see if they were going to use the money in a wise way, a way that he would agree uh, agree to give more. Or why do you think he would do that? Well, I think that they were there. This is the fascinating thing to me about Bill Gates. You know, people demonize him or whatever, but I think one reason why people have a hard time understanding Bill Gates is because he is this nerdy dude who is outcome focused and he wants to solve public health problems like he wants to solve a math equation. He, you know, it's like there is a logical set of steps that go into tackling this public health crisis. Um, What do we need to do? How do we organize the logistics? How do we make this work? And if he solves the puzzle, he'll move on to the next one. And when people see that, they see he's, I mean, he's trying to choose how can he maximize his impact, but he also wants to solve problems. But he's not really passionate about this. You know, there's no Sarah McLaughlin singing in the arms of an angel and shots of starving kids in Africa because he doesn't need anyone's money. He's using his own money. And the thing is, he knows that there's children starving in Africa and it's sad or people dying of disease. Um, but to him, it's more not about the individual. It's can I make an impact on scale and actually solve this problem? And people have a hard time wrapping their heads around that where it's like, this guy doesn't even care. He doesn't even have compassion for these people. To him, it's just a, a numbers game. And it's like, yes, but he's doing better numbers than anyone else in the world has ever done. But those numbers are people. Those numbers are that. people, and they're they're alive, and they would have been dead. That's right. That's it's, what he sees. But it's difficult when you're not out there, you know, pressing the flesh and hugging a dying child. And, you know, when you sort of seem like an egghead in your, in your lab... But it's like being an egghead in your lab does more good than being out there hugging a dying child. It's it's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's a big reason for the public sentiment that's sort of negative towards Bill Gates. Yep. Um, let's see. Three or four more? Okay. Today I that was about Michael Jackson. I didn't I find Michael Jackson problematic because you know all the stuff. So mm-hmm. when we talk about philanthropy, I'd rather talk about Bill Bill Gates. Gates. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today I learned that Association Football's all-time top goal scorer may well be a 5'10 chain-smoking lesbian from the early 20th century. Lily Parr's career ran from 1920 to 1951, and she reputedly scored almost 1,000 goals in this time. Huh. Uh, Are we talking American football or soccer? Soccer. Huh? Billy Parr, English women's women's association football player. 
She's the only woman to be made an inaugural inductee into the English Football Hall of Fame. So it's soccer. Yeah. Huh. Well, I didn't know that. Nope, I learned about Lily Parr, the lesbian chain-smoking soccer goal-scoring wizard. More power to her. Way to go, Lily. Good job, (laughs) Lily. Good job, Lily. Today I learned that... That was cool. Yeah. I mean, there's interesting characters. Today I learned that the crime that led Sisyphus to push a boulder was cheating death. He made his wife not bury him properly before he died. Chained death and tricked Persephone into letting him briefly return to Earth to scold his wife and ran away instead of returning to hell. Do you know the myth of Sisyphus, right? No. Sisyphus cheated death. And so his punishment was he had to push a boulder up a hill for all eternity. Oh. (laughs) Just fairy stories. Just fairy tales. I guess myths. Okay. What's the difference between yeah. a fairy tale and a myth? Do you know? Should, uh, we, should we look it up? Now let's guess. A fairy tale is something that you know is not true. A myth is something that you, you, you say it's not true, but you say it as if it is true. I think a myth is more ancient religious uh, stories, and a fairy tale is more modern. Myth versus fairy tale. Fairy tales generally have some sort of fantastic element, might feature magic, imaginary creatures, and often a conflict between sides that are clearly good and evil. A myth has its basis in religion, often telling stories of supernatural beings or creators, and usually explaining some sort of natural phenomenon. Yeah, see? It's kind of, we're, we're both kind of right. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. Let's see, what are we at? 45 minutes? Do you want to get done by around 10? Yeah. Okay, so uh, three more? Okay. Today I learned that on the first day the Suez Canal opened, November 17th, 1869, a French ship named Pelouse ran aground and blocked the canal, forcing ships stuck in the canal to wait until the next morning when the Pelouse was hauled away. (laughs) How about that? Oops, it's sort of like the Titanic. (laughs) Uh, that's funny. I like it. I don't know if we could have a discussion about it, but I like it. Yeah. Two more. Today I learned there is a street that is split down the middle by the USA-Canadian border, aptly named Canusa Street. People who live in houses on the <laughs> south side of the street are in the USA and the north side in Canada. Crossing the street requires having to report to the border crossing office. That seems inconvenient. I, w- I wonder how many people actually do that. Report to the border crossing office? Yeah, you're going to walk across the street to visit your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Well, I okay, I bet a lot of people in the U.S., a lot of the USA people, they'll, I bet there's a lot more of them crossing to talk to the Canadians than the Canadians crossing to talk to the Americans because Americans are much more individualistic. Like, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I bet you the Canadians get a lot of stuff delivered to their neighbors' houses. Because I think that Amazon prices are cheaper in America than they are in Canada. Well, can the Amazon guy cross the border? No, I think that they have separate labor laws. Yeah. So I know for a fact that some people that I know that live near the border in Canada, they order their stuff to a drop spot at the border, and they drive down and they pick it up. 
So where is that street anyway? Let's take a look. Let's click in. Canusa Street. Canusa Street. Vermont and Quebec. Oh, okay. It's in Vermont. It's in New England. I'd like to go see it. I would love to go see it. That'd be fun. Maybe we can do that sometime for a uh, a uh, an adventure. Yes. Where did you go for on your vacation? Canusa Street. <laughs> okay, let's see. If this is a good one, we'll make this the last one. How does that sound? Okay. Today I learned nearly 60-year-old combat instructors Bill Sykes and Dan Fairbairn would introduce themselves to spy trainees during World War II by descending a staircase into a ballroom. They would pretend to fall and roll down the stairs, but pop up at the bottom with a pistol in one hand and a knife in the other. Okay. Yeah. Next. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good for them. Wow. Today I learned in the 17th century, Robert Boyle, the father of modern chemistry, compiled an improbable wish list he hoped science would one day accomplish. All but a few have come true. Hmm. Shall we look at the wish list? Okay. Okay. The prolongation of life. You don't have it pulled up. Oh. And I actually got to, I want to kill us so you can read it. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Here we go. The prolongation of life. Okay. The recovery of youth. At least some marks of it. New teeth, new hair. Colored as in youth. The art of flying. When was this guy writing? 17th century. 16th century. 1600s. 1600s. The cure of wounds at a distance. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> the cure of diseases at a distance, or at least by transplantation. The attaining gigantic dimensions. Don't know. It's like building big ships or something. Maybe. The emulating of fish without engines by custom and education only. Don't know what that means. The acceleration of the production of things out of seed. Well, we got that one done. Mm -hmm. The transmutation of metals. I think we did that one pretty well. The making of glass malleable. Well, if you look at fiber optic cable, I'd say yeah. we, we accomplished that one. The transmutation of species in minerals, animals, and vegetables. Well, we did a lot of genetic breeding to sort of get those yeah. gigantic chicken breasts, those gigantic Costco rotisserie chickens. Um, <laughs> yeah. The liquid alkaist and other dissolving menstruums. Don't know what that means. The making of parabolical and hyperbolical glasses. I think we, we've done that, right? Yeah, we've done that. The making armor. We probably got that from Ben Franklin. No, because he would have been alive before Ben Franklin. This is the 1600s. That's right. Um, the making armor light and extremely hard. Well, Kevlar vest, you know? Uh-huh. The practicable and certain way of finding longitude. So, yeah, I think we handled that one. Yeah. I have a GPS in my pocket at all times. Yeah. Um, the use of pendulums at sea and in journeys and the application of it to watches. Yeah. yeah we're, we're past that. We put Way a little, past that. We put yeah. a, a little electrical charge into a quartz crystal. And uh, 
Yeah. It works a lot better. Potent drugs to alter or exalt imagination, waking memory and other functions. Appease pain, procure innocent sleep, harmless dreams, etc. Boy, have we uh, got Boy, have to we work on that one. one. Yeah. <laughs> we hit that one straight on. <laughs> a ship to sail with all winds and a ship not to be sunk. I think they called it the Titanic, right? I think we, I think, yeah. Why wouldn't that be a submarine? <laughs> yeah. Freedom from necessity of much sleeping, exemplified by the operations of tea and what happens in Mad Men. Is the operations of tea the little energy boost you get from drinking a cup of tea? I don't know. What does he mean by freedom of necessity of much sleeping? So you only have to sleep three or four hours a night? Yeah, I don't think I don't, I don't think we did that. I don't think we've you can do it, but you can't keep doing it. I don't think we I don't think we'll ever do that. I don't think uh, humans can do that. I think that every person is different too. Much sleeping. Like for me, I find between 7 and 8 hours is my sweet spot. If I sleep 9 hours, I'm groggy. If I sleep 6 hours, I'm tired. So if I sleep between seven and eight hours, I feel good. And that's just where I'm at. You know what I mean? Other yep. people, it might be between six and seven hours. Other people might need nine to ten hours. Um, I agree. I agree. Pleasing dreams and physical exercises exemplified by the Egyptian electuary and by the fungus mentioned by the French author. Okay, whatever that means. Great strength and agility of body, exemplified by that of frantic, epileptic, and hysterical persons. Well, I mean, when you're talking great strength and agility of body, you have me 500 years <laughs> later, 400 years later. I think I proved him right. <laughs> agility of body, I'm like a gazelle. I'm like a gazelle. Uh-huh. I'm like a gazelle mixed with a lion. <laughs> <laughs> A perpetual, yeah, we got that covered. We got that covered. Just the two of us show that his, right. he got That's his right. wish. Uh, a perpetual light. I think we got that one. Yeah, it's the sun. <laughs> no. I mean, I could turn on a, <laughs> the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, the Undying Flame. I'm, I have LEDs in my house I could leave on for six to seven years without having to change them. That's a perpetual light, if you ask me. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. Varnishes perfumable by rubbing. Yeah, they made scratch and sniff books. Yep. So, I think this is a good one to close on. It's very interesting. Yeah. 16th century or 17th century chemist. Yeah, and uh, we're living proof of his number. His next to last one. Yes, great strength and agility of body. Hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'll let you do it too. Strength and agility and of agility. body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's us. That's us. That's, a, that's us. That's Ro Boyle. Robert Boyle, when he looked into the future, you know what he saw? He saw a picture of us. And he said, right. man, those people in the future are going to have great strength and agility of body. So I think I will play the outro music. This has been fun, don't you think? It's been great. It's been really fun. Um, yeah, the music is playing. I don't know if there's anything you want to say before we get out of here, but I'll let you have the last word. I just want to say that Sons of the Choir say, uh, keep on talking. 
but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye. Bye.